I got a message for your American buddy. I'm your wife, damn it! Ah, would have to go up to the wives in the library or the supermarket and say hello. I am new here. I know, George, you think I don't know anything, but I know people. I get 18 years of my life to stand in the same spot as you. You want your file? I found you your file. You want it out? I got you out. You needed money? I found you some. Now, let's face it here. I've got to, you know, latch on to something in my life. Oh, yeah, you blind. No use to try to sweet talk me, Miss Scarlett. I know you ever since I put the first pair of diapers on you. Who was going to love me? Who, who was going to make me feel good? I wish I had a mother like me instead of nice. Nice gets you shit. I got a two-inch thick solo in steak. Sit and defrost and wait this minute. When you and Guy come over and supple with us tonight, what do you say? Episode of the Best Supporting Podcast, a podcast dedicated to celebrating and dissecting the performances of our favorite Best Supporting Actresses. My name is Nick Kachanov, and you want my advice? I'm all out. <laughs> and my name is Colin Drucker, and these are my mother's ashes. <laughs> and I didn't know what else to say. I was like, yeah, you know, just dance with the one that brought you. Um, yeah. Here we oh are. Oh my goodness. Here we are. Here we are. We've we've trickled and teased it we've done a little bit of a you know a sampler uh in the best supporting after show in starting to talk about the white lotus but this is officially finally our bsas of the white lotus episode i'm so thrilled to talk about this because i have so many i know that the 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 finale was kind of polarizing in a lot of ways but there's so much more to talk about and i just really really loved this show so much and i could probably i've I've listened to a couple of podcasts just let you know like the pop culture happy hours and i read a vulture article I, i tried to keep it to a minimum but i was just so curious as to like like did everyone else see what i saw and everyone did and mm-hmm. some people like still missed a couple things or just like what i uh, really latched on to or I guess the takeaways from it but it's such a loaded question for me to ask you Colin but like I, I don't know well, how do we start this like what are your initial thoughts like it's just such a broad exciting question in a way I feel like I have because I've been I, and I apologize that by the time this episode comes out for like the the tiny Venn diagram of anyone who's like an alright Mary like only Mary Matreon. We talked about the White Lotus for like 25 minutes. Yeah. In an episode that's probably out by now. So for like the seven people or whatever that that are going to hear me. Yeah. yeah, that are going to hear this. You're probably going to hear me make some of the same points twice. Sure. But that just means I really meant them. But I, I do find, and this was certainly the case in that episode, but also just in general, I find myself being a white Lotus defender, if not apologist that I, anytime someone has an objection, I am like, no, you know what? No, I think, I I think we're supposed to disagree about that. You know, like that's like Johnny and I had a lot of disagreements on that episode Mm -hmm. and, you know, including with the music where I was like, Oh no, this is impeccable. I will (laughs) not, I will not be served this soup. Uh, I, I will not. And so, um, but I found that in general, it's like, you know, even down to the finale, for example, I am very quick to explain away why I think it works and why I think it all makes sense. So I guess that's my way of saying that, like, I really enjoyed The White Lotus. I, I think it's a real accomplishment. I 
I also am so glad that it has been renewed for a second season with an entirely different cast. Yes. You know, like I am so happy to, for the show, but I also don't need any more time with the Mossbachers. I'll tell you that much. Yes, exactly. And I think to kind of, I mean, an entry point of this, maybe, you know, and maybe I'm, I'm, I'm taking too big of a jump too quick. So, you know, steer me away if it's, we should save it for later is just the, the second half of the se- uh the season is, is far more. It's like what I expected this to be. Like, I guess, like, when Mm -hmm. I first started watching this, and I kind of loved that Keon and I both watched the first three episodes before we went to Virginia, and then we watched, the the, like, that last three, like, the Sunday we came home, we were up to, like, 2 a.m., and, like, what started out as what I thought was, like, this kooky sort of dark comedy turned into this, like, meditation on, like, class and how certain people, like, no matter how hard they try, they cannot beat the system it's it's like an examination of privilege and so much more that meets the eye and i i hope that people are seeing that but i also think that's a reason why people might not have liked it i guess like a lot of people just were like i you know people tuned in to see who died and if that's what you were kind of Mm. it's that's what you took away from this and were kind of just left feeling cheated or something like that then you have to rewatch it again, or at least like, you know, hopefully you're listening to this podcast, maybe because I, I do feel that I'm in your camp as well, too, that like I am willing and ready to defend and discuss this show for any amount of time. So those are my yeah, and, and those are my thoughts, I guess. I think that's a good point is like if if the idea of like who died, it's an interesting hook at the very beginning of the show. But by the end, I mean, I would I would say that somewhere, I don't know, you know, a few, maybe three, four episodes in, I started to think, oh, who's going to die? And I started to get into that murder mystery mindset. And then, you know, and I feel silly even saying this, but I'm like, obviously, spoilers. Like, well, you yeah, know what sure. you're doing. Yeah. You're smart cookies out there. You know, obviously. Enough time has passed. Um, yeah, enough time has passed. You know, um, the butler did it, you know. But, you know, the... When it all does pan out and Armand does die, in a way it was like, oh, well, maybe that wasn't who I thought initially because I was expecting to be more gooped. This almost feels like the obvious choice. And then the more you think about it, it's like, oh, we've been watching the descent to this happening from the very beginning. Like, this has all been about Armand dying, you know? And it wasn't just Shane stabbing him. It was everything that led up to it. And so I think it almost takes away that release of, like, who did it, of the who done it, of who died. Um, It doesn't matter so much who died, but, like, what brought them to their demise, you know? Sure. Or just maybe death is sort of this... um... I don't even know what to call it representation, I guess, just to be plain, but of like how many people lost, like you look at Kai and you look at Paula and you look at Belinda and you know, the representation of just like minorities within the show and that Armand is kind of the last minority to get his, I guess, or to really kind of not succeed in what he set out to do for lack of a better Mm. word. And 
the fact that he dies at the hand of Shane, the rich, straight, white, privileged guy stabs like, although like, you know, a white gay man, you know, if we're kind of thinking about hierarchy, it's still like a, a minority or at least like in that circle, that, that sort of Venn diagram of like them versus us or us versus them, however you want to say it too. And I think that's kind of, that's sort of Mike White's MO. I mean, I know, have you seen School of Rock? I know that's a crazy jump in the conversation, <laughs> but he did that. I mean, he wrote and directed I, I know. that. I think too, right? And if I if I didn't know that he like wrote direct, you know, wrote and it was in that movie, I would think, no, I haven't. Um, are have you had a stroke? But no, I I see where you're. <laughs> I know it was a big jump, but I, I guess like yeah. in in the Vulture article that I read too, um, I think it's called. Uh, I think I wrote it down here. It's like, let's talk about the last episode of White Lotus. There were like a slew mm-hmm. of them. Um, I think I read that yeah, one. By Jen yeah, by Jen Chaney. I I it was great. And, yeah, yeah. You know, Mike White's sort of thing is like this idea of like, there's like a song, like Stick It to the Man. That's like sort of like Jack Black's sort of MO within the movie. And it's very like, you know, rock and roll. So it's just it's just kind of going along with his sort of uh, his style, I guess, if you want to call it that, or like what he really wants to speak to when he creates film and television. And um, I am I almost want to pull the Hex Protocol, but I do feel like if you like The White Lotus – it's definitely different, but it's also written and directed, you know, or, you know, at least created by Mike White, but enlightened with, you know, one Miss Laura Dern yes. is uh, I think to to what you're saying, where it's like enlightened is, you know, on the outset, it's about this woman who just has this nervous breakdown and, you know, goes to, to rehab and comes back, you know, a changed woman and is ready to change the world that she, you know needed rehabilitation from and it at first it looks like kind of like the white lotus like oh this is going to be this like really dark comedy about this like the these these people that we kind of recognize you know it's like and a lot of times it is these like oh these you know these parasitic white people you know like it really is that that kind of theme and uh and then as enlightened goes on it's like oh there's so much more going on here and there's it's about so much more in each episode. It's like, oh, there's actually some like lessons or morals or messages here that are earned because the, it, Mike White is not forcing it down your throat. It's like by the time you get to the message, it's like, oh, I guess you've really illustrated this so well that you've earned the moral, you know? Yes. And so I think with the White Lotus, it's the same thing where it's like, yeah, initially it's like, oh, God, look at this awful family and these bitchy girls mm-hmm. and crazy Tanya and blah, blah. And then as it goes on, it's like, oh, I yeah, the, they're, these are real people and like with real issues and there's like real shit going on on vacation. And I think it's like the perfect amount of episodes, too. It's like I don't think I needed to spend any more time. I guess like the pacing in each episode and what happens and you know because a lot of it's just setting up everything and getting to know these characters but like just the idea of I don't know I felt called out in a way in like a great way if that makes sense at the end of this it's just like it stuck with me for days just like how you're kind of at least like my entry point you know like I knew Jennifer Coolidge was killing it and like Jennifer Coolidge, mm-hmm. like the casting of Jennifer Coolidge is so perfect because she is 
she ends up being, in my opinion, one of like the most unlikable characters by the end. And I, I, I guess I was just un, I was frustrated with her. But like, I didn't expect that to happen because it's like it's Jennifer Coolidge and she's saying like, you know, she's hiding in a cabana and being weird and wearing fabulous things. And then slowly over time, you start to realize what's being set before you. And you just start to see a little bit that on, of that onion peeled mm-hmm. away a little bit. And then you start to kind of settle into that idea. But within that, I still really enjoyed watching everything else unfold around that, I guess. But by the time you get to even Rachel talking with Belinda towards the end, I'm like, yeah, you're right with Belinda. You're right there. You are like she. I mean, we have so much to say about Belinda. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say. I mean, I think that you know, and, and again, this is definitely something I I talk about in that Matron episode. But again, the percentage of people that's going to matter to is minor. I just don't want to have people think. You know, I don't want to have that edit of like, oh, look, here's Lady Gaga saying the same thing in every interview. You know, <laughs> then say um, it, Sister Margareta. Say it. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so I. Uh, I feel like the the interesting thing with the White Lotus is like it starts and you're kind of introduced to everybody, and you're you're sort of told up front, you know, like right uh, just from set and setting and story and whatnot, like okay, these are all privileged people, so yeah. that you kind of come in with a little bit of judgment, but then you're sort of lulled into maybe not necessarily liking everybody, but they are your protagonists, you know, and we start to kind of align with everybody's story, and I think. Obviously, some people are more sympathetic than others and, you know, some are more aligned than others. But like these are our, you know, these are our quote unquote protagonists. And then Mm -hmm. I feel like by the end of the show, it's like Mike White has worked us back to remembering as they're boarding the plane. It's like, oh, yeah, all of these people suck. (laughs) And like they've always sucked and like it's always just been degrees so it's like when i think about like oh well you know the thing about nicole is like well no nicole is she sucks yeah but there's just like moments of humanity where i started to like her and i and i think it becomes about levels of self-awareness you know and like how aware of uh, of their self-suckage are they you know and um but at the end of the day, none of these are really our protagonists, and they basically pillage the White Lotus. You know, yeah. you look at Kai, you look at Armand, you look at Belinda. Like, they've just come and used these people and just wrung them out and killed them, you know, in some <laughs> cases, and then just left, you know? It's like, oh, yeah, fuck you, you know? Yeah, it's... It's kind of heavy. I mean, it's more than heavy in a way. And it's, uh, you know, Keon and I had like such a, we kind of just like turned it off and just sat, it, you, you kind of have to sit with it for a while. And then like, uh, you know, we, we talked about it a bit and then went to bed. And the next day I kind of woke up and, you know, started reading what other people had to say too. And just kind of, it makes me want to watch it again. But I'm but mm-hmm. at the same time, I'm not so eager to put it on right away. Like as far as the rewatchability of this is in ways, I don't think it's like a may I destroy you. I mean, may I destroy you? Like maybe I'll revisit that sometime down the road, too. But also um, just to kind of see that descent and like how cleverly it's I mean, the writing is so great and everyone that's cast in this the show is just perfect and i just love how it's just such a hodgepodge of like people that we love that are in this cast that we will of course talk about today 
Yeah, I um, I have been rewatching some of it before we recorded, and Ooh, I will nice. say it, it's an interesting point of like this is a very I think it's rewatching you can kind of see I think the architecture of the show, whereas on the first watch you're just kind of enveloped by the kind of I don't know um, the ornamentation and the and the the flow of it. I don't know. I feel like there's you know. Um, if the show was, if, if it was, I don't know what I'm describing. If the show was a tent, at the first watch, you're just experiencing the, like, the fabric. Sure. And then when you go back and watch it again, you're like, oh, so that's how these bars all go together and make this little dome on the top. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, I see. I um, see. And so, like, the first go around is more of like, oh, my God, this tent is so cute. We're glamping. But then on the second watch, it's a little less enveloping and a little bit more of like, oh, wow, how did Mike White do this? Another weird thing that I thought of, too, like, is that because I'm, I'm thinking of the people that were that railed against it. And like, if I was to really ask them, like, well, why? Like, what were you expecting to happen? And I think in a lot of ways, there's such an almost like addiction to like murder and death in like America and other places as well too. But like, if you think of like the true crime fanatics too, which I'm, I don't really mm-hmm. participate in, you know, I mean, but yeah, you, I watched the hunger games and stuff like that. There is such a curiosity about that, that it's such a great device for, for everyone to be hooked instantly because you automatically know someone's going to die. And we're all excited about that. So I actually thought about that quite often. Like anytime there was like a really close uh, shot of someone, I just thought someone was going to come up. You know, I thought that like Quinn was going to die on the beach like eight times. Mm -hmm. Anytime someone was in the water, anytime someone was walking around at night, it's like you're kind of preoccupied in a way and so when you don't get that payout at the end of who knows what people wanted or like, I didn't want Armand to die, but like Armand's pretty bad at his job at the same time too. It's like you kind of go along with him because he's handsome and smiley, but like he's terrible in a way. Up to you how you want to do this, but you know, in terms of the you know BSAs of the White yes, Lotus, yes. are you prepared to do a ranked five to one, uh, or is ranking it much too painful? I mean, it was painful, and I feel like after this episode is released, I might change my mind on like a lot of these. But I I know that some of them are like etched in stone. But I did make a five to one countdown with a an honorable mention or two. All right, all right. Yeah, it was tough, and I feel like there could be every once in a while. You know, we like to keep we like to keep everybody on our toes, including ourselves, and change things up while we go. So I see my I'm like, and I say that as an act one gun because I'm not. I think I'm going to keep it, but I had thoughts about moving a few around. But I think, yeah, I think I'm going to just leave it because otherwise it's just going to be this for the rest of the episode of like, well, I mean, uh, so. Let's do that. Let's get into and and you know, listeners who've been here before, the best the BS the BSAs of an episode. It's you know, it's it's a little award show in and of itself, and it's ranked. I ranked it. I mean, everybody's a winner, but there's definitely a number one. Oh yeah. Oh yes. 
So let's get into it. Uh, you, you mentioned you had some honorable mentions. Yeah, I'm, I almost lumped them together, but I think to do that is doing a disservice to one half of the, the duo, too. But I'm going to give an honorable mention to Sydney Sweeney as Olivia Mossbacher, who is the daughter. She was also in Euphoria. She's, she was in The Handmaid's Tale, too. Not that I would have seen it because... I just can't bring myself still to watch it, but right. I think that she is, as I often say, a good little actress, which sounds so condescending, but I, I, I did mm. enjoy her a lot. And I think like the dynamic between her and Paula is very interesting as far as this sort of Gen Z sort of, you know, I, I get they're in college, right? Yeah. I, yeah. I think I figured out the second time around they're sophomores in college. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like towards the end, I, I still really didn't I didn't mind her. But she at the end of the day, like, you know, as Paula points out, her tribe is the Mossbachers and she is sort of it's like her fate is decided without her knowing it as woke or, you know, I know people don't say woke anymore, but, um, you know, as sort of in the know and sort of on the right side of things as she is, there's still like a part of her that is bred to, you know, kind of forge this path that's sort of led by her parents I guess and just who she is and her her own privilege but all that being said I really liked her and I I I didn't want to go through the uh, this episode specifically without without mentioning her name and I don't know if she's on your list but that's those are those are my initial thoughts she is also one of my honorable mentions I yeah I I mean I think it's a it's a tricky role I typically don't you know, go goo gaga for like the, you know, the petulant teenage daughter. I kept thinking, oh, thank God it's not Chloe Grace Moretz because I would have never gotten through <laughs> yes. the show. Like, because that's, that's that, that kind of energy. I just, I don't, it's, it's very overused. I, I understand that teenagers are, you know, and, and even into college sometimes are the worst. I mean, the worst mm-hmm. just they're terrible they're so miserable and mean and and they all know i'm gay you know sure um, yeah. anyway i think so you know but you know what i mean like i think i saw some meme somewhere online but it's something i've definitely online you know the internet but i saw some <laughs> meme of like uh you know hearing like a group of teenagers laughing and immediately thinking oh god they've spotted me like it's me like they must be laughing at me you know and whenever i hear that i immediately just like freeze up and i'm like oh no there's no escaping this you know yeah what is that because i often feel that there's an episode of 30 rock where she's like out on the street saying goodbye to someone outside of her apartment and then like (laughs) there's like a group of she's like oh no youths and then she runs back inside Mm -hmm. her apartment uh it is weird i guess it's just like I wonder when we're like 50, if we'll think of that, you know, or is it just because like we're in our right. 30s and we're not old, but we're not young. And it's like we've been caught. And what are they? What do they? Yeah. What do they think about me? Which is crazy. But also, I you know, that's my theory. Yeah, I don't know, but I'm I'm terrified. I'm terrified <laughs> of teenagers. Absolutely terrified. So I, you know, I but I thought that she was great. I think the writing of this character is really smart in that, you know, the last episode or, you know, in the last act of the show, there is that fight between Olivia and Paula where yeah. she's like, that's your tribe. Those are your people. And we really kind of see something break in Olivia and something change. And she's no longer 
you know, just the snotty, bitchy character with the great lines. You know, the the two of them are like, you know, a couple of drag queens the whole time reading everybody. And I, I was like, well, that's all well and good and funny and interesting, but like, I want to, you know, make her cry now. You know, yeah. and so I was glad when that happened. Yeah, I think like the height of Olivia for me was when she was like. You know her and Paula on the bed like was oh my god do you think grandpa was a power bottom or I bet he was a power like, oh yeah it's just like it's mm-hmm. such a crazy conversation to be having but also um I didn't really appreciate her like I don't know I just feel like they were mean to Rachel at the pool and I didn't love that that's like the perfect example of like what we were talking about before like Rachel mm-hmm. being like I don't mean like mid I don't know late 20s we'll say and just kind of like trying to be friends with them and them just sort of giving a cold stare back I was like first of all I would never even talk to them I would just ignore them or you know cover up or hide in a cabana mm-hmm. oh yeah I would be already hidden in a cabana eating chips and guac or <laughs> more importantly whatever aloha nachos are I don't know if that jumped out to you Ooh, but I need to know what aloha sounds... nachos are. I don't remember it I don't recall it but uh, it's, it's yeah. A... It is that you have no reason to. It's a brief moment when Quinn is in the pool and he swims up to a swim up bar. Oh, yeah. And he and he asks the bartender, he's like, oh, you guys got like nachos or something? He's like, yeah, you want our, our Aloha nachos? And I thought, oh my gosh, this is just like when we did special and they had those Italian nachos from oh, Macaroni Grill. Oh, yes, Girl. yes. I'm going to just do a quick, I know that Aloha nachos is, I'm just going to do a little search. Do it. And just see what happens. By all means, yes. Okay, well... Rachel Ray has some Aloha nachos. Should we just read what the recipe is? Yes. <laughs> is now the time to talk about Aloha nachos? It's going to take like a minute, folks. I promise we'll get back to it. This is okay. So we all know how nachos are made. You do the layers, and I'm not endorsing this. I'm just saying this is Rachel's idea. Is she uses a bag of chipotle flavor flavored chips, shredded Colby Jack cheese, grilled pineapple, grilled red onions, pan fried ham. And then you top it with parsley chives and pickled jalapenos. Interesting. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, I, I pictured the pineapple. That was like, if I was to predict what's on it, um, I could probably do without the ham, but I wouldn't like be mad about it. Yeah. I feel I, like something's I don't mind missing, it. but yeah, I, I mean, if that was put in front of me and I had, you know, a couple margaritas by the pool, I, I, I wouldn't even blink, you know? Oh, in a cabana eating Aloha Ugh. nachos, drinking margaritas. Oh my god, hiding like, from, hiding from the youth, <laughs> hiding from the youth. Oh Jesus Christ! Anyway, do you have any? You have any other uh, honorable mentions? Uh, no, actually, I don't know if you have any more, but go for it if you do. I do, and it, this is the you know I, I, there could be some heartbreak this week. So yeah. one of my one of my honorable mentions is Steve Zahn as Mark. Oh, great. I'm so glad. I just, and you know, it was just, I really, it was really interesting casting. I mean, he's very familiar. I think people our age, we've seen Steve Zahn for years and like have definitely not seen him so much in a like tired dad role. Mm -hmm. And so like, it just makes it so much more interesting to watch him play the, the tired dad role. And I don't know. I mean, I, I, there's a lot of narratives in this show and a lot of people's stories. I'm not saying his was the most compelling for me, but I thought his was very nuanced. And I think, you know, in general, this is an honorable mention for Mike White as well, because he managed to make straight white men interesting. 
uh, and that is uh, that is very challenging. So, yeah. um, so Steve is gonna, you know, he's gonna go up on stage and, and take that award. Ugh, I love that. Steve is not on my list, um, but I'm I, I'm glad that you mentioned him. I think he's like looking better than ever. I just like was mm. so attracted to him, and uh, it's just like tan, tired dad, and you know, of course we. I was thinking about you during like his sort of like um, his like monkey man foreplay. I was like, is Colin into this? But I don't think Steve Zahn looks like a monkey enough. You know what I mean? That sort of oh, like a sure. banging of the chest. <laughs> oh, that's like yeah, really talk about monkey man. Yeah, um, you know if Steve Zahn wanted to play monkey man with me, he's not quite he's not quite the definition. But you know, I'll stretch the rules. He's a little bit more of like a. He's got kind of a seal quality, you know? Seal is in the... Oh, the animal. I thought you meant the singer. The animal, not the singer. <laughs> not the kiss from the rose on a sure, day. Sure, yeah. yeah. I guess that's like one of... Uh, yeah, you're, that's one of your games, right? Like, what, what animal are they? I feel like that's like mm-hmm. a common thread. Uh, yeah, I I can see that. I feel like you can never see his teeth, Steve Zahn. Yeah. But when he smiles, yeah. it's great. But like he has like... Uh, like uh, not a, an odd shaped mouth, but you know what I'm talking about. It looks like those pictures of uh-huh. celebrities with their like teeth photoshopped out of the picture. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I know. And now I'm looking at his headshot. I'm like, well, he's sort of a seal. He's, he's a little bit, there's a bit of a meerkat quality, but in any event, Steve Zahn is not a gorilla or a orangutan or any other kind of monkey quality. But, um, but I did enjoy the monkey play. I have one more honorable mention, Ooh, and yes. this is, I think, where my heart breaks a little bit because I wanted to get her on the list, but I there's only it's a, it's called five to one for a reason, yeah, because um, there's only five, and so uh, she missed out by a mere hair, but uh, and I I know I just don't think I can say her last name correctly, but it's Alexandra Daddario. Uh, I wish it was Daddario, but I I bet it isn't. Uh, as Rachel, yes. So she's actually on my list. I feel like I'm going to shock you with my list and I'm excited for it. Um, oh, good. That's uh, what I want. But so we can, I, 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 you know, in our typical fashion, if you want to start the conversation, I can continue it when I get to her on my list. But uh, tell us about Rachel. Well, I think from my point of view, you know, and watching it again, I was really thinking about, but who who is our protagonist? Who can I trust here? Like, thinking of it even like a, as a murder mystery like who's definitely innocent you know yeah. and i think for a lot of this it's like well, you can align with rachel and we do sympathize with her and and i think that you know alexandra daddario and i want there to be an apostrophe between the d and the first it's sure just, it's yeah not what i want daddario. her name to be sounds like you're yeah, stuttering RuPaul would hate this name oh he would yeah he exactly would. exactly he'd hate this name um but lovely actress but she I think brings a ton of nuance mm-hmm. to this role. I think she's really interesting to watch and to align with. And I think it makes it all the more heartbreaking, you know, when she, when she does end up going back to him at the end. And um, I just, I, I loved her. And I, there were certain shots, certainly towards the second half of the season. I think maybe it was the beginning of episode six when they're in bed and she's just laying there staring with these wide eyes. Mm. And I was just like, Oh God, I know what this is. Like it was just so good. And I think that she and the script and the the direction, like just really measured out 
her breakdown in a really interesting way. And I just think that she, it, it was a really fascinating performance to watch. And if you did rewatch the white Lotus, so you could see how the tent gets put together, you could really see like even more nuances. Like that's the performance to rewatch in a way, you know? Oh yeah. Uh, I will, I will save my thoughts, but I, I, I agree with everything that you are starting with. I loved her a lot actually. So more on her later. Great. Great. Well, then I think why don't you get us into the uh, the actual list? Uh, a round of applause for our honorable mentions. <laughs> but who is your number five? My number five is Connie Britton as Nicole Mossbacher. Well, I just I don't want to interrupt you. I just want to say she's also my number five, oh, so that lovely. works out very well. Oh, great, yes, great, great. okay, great. yes. But please go on. I, and yeah. you know what? I almost uh, put her as an honorable mention too because I I just didn't really like her as much towards the end too. But like I I think what Connie Britton like nails in this show, like she's such a um I think naturally what she brings to like any sort of role is like this sort of calm. I don't want to call it like hippy dippy energy, but she's just kind of there and she's just kind of, there's no, there, there aren't really like stakes. Like I can't imagine, even though I'm sure she's probably done it in some film or television role, like her going to a 27, like a hereditary 27. I just feel like her That's volume a good question. Yeah, yeah. Like I know she was in that show Nashville for a while, which Keon watched every single season. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah. He loved it. He loved it. <laughs> Um, was he a Friday Night Lights fan too? Because um, she was in that yeah, too. Surprisingly, him and I have never watched a single episode, and I know a lot of people are gasping out there because uh, Jamie, our Pittsburgh friend, like practically slapped us when we told her that we've never seen it because she said it's some of Connie Britton's best. But I, I don't know. I just I feel like her volume never goes up like past a six. You know what I mean? Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at, I mean, I, I'm not wildly familiar with her filmography. She was in six episodes of a season of 24 okay. and I feel like people get pretty panicked on that show, sure. but there's also some people who are like, um, Hey Jack, it's Diane. You've got 20 minutes, you know, like, so she might be, yeah, that she's person, the con- you know? she, she's, she just has like a calming presence. I feel so like, mm-hmm. I didn't really know who she was when, like, I just felt like she was, like, this out-of-touch mom. But I think she, like, in a way she is. And I think that there's sort of a sense, like, she just plays rich white lady really well. Because, like, even, like, the fact that your son slept on the beach and, like, her reaction to that is just like, girls, you need to be nicer to your brother. Like, there's not really Mm -hmm. any as far as her being a parent and like, she's just consumed with her work at the same time too. But the moment where I died and I don't know if you were as excited about this as I was, but Keon and I were both watching and we were cackling um, because it's just not funny and funny at the same time when Steve Zahn um, uh, gets the call from his uncle and he finds out that his dad died from AIDS and Steve Zahn Mm -hmm. says AIDS and Connie Britton sitting in bed, the way that her mouth just pops open. Do you remember that part? Oh, yes. It was so yes. stupid. And I am obsessed with it. Like, I laughed so hard at that. We had to pause because we were like, because she just goes and her mouth just opens. And it's a gift, too, which know, is so great. Go ahead. Do you know what it reminds me of? Do you, have you ever seen that little that gif of that cat? 
when it's and it's just like the slack jawed cat. <laughs> it's such an I old think I know, gif. I think I know. I think I know. Yeah. If you search like shocked cat gif, like it's literally. I think it's the same mouth. Yeah. Oh, same energy, and it just tickled me pink. I just like loved it. I was like, because it was a genuine reaction to it and it just like seems so out of place but also right where it needed to be and i just thought she i'm always excited to see connie Britton in anything even if she's not going to a 27 she's she's still giving a lot of nuance and i really liked her in this i mean she is the reason that i would watch friday night lights because i've always heard that like oh but it's the really nuanced realistic performance of connie Britton and carl Chandler is a married couple and yes. I thought oh well that sounds you know uh that sounds nice and I know that she was in American Horror Story just thinking like where might she have gone to 27 I watched season one of American Horror Story and I don't remember loving it I also sent you a gif of that cat just in case um <laughs> I just suck <laughs> but then she was also in Dirty John the TV series oh, Dirty right. John and yeah. so she's always um, working She's yeah, so she's absolutely she's great. Uh, I I love Connie Britton. I think she was so great in this. I think there's kind of a Valerie Cherish quality with this, where like the longer it goes on, the more you you don't even necessarily like sympathize with her character, but you find sympathetic notes to her. It take a while to come out because it, and I love that. that oh, eventually, it's like well. When she does have that meltdown on the boat, it's like well, yeah, I guess she has been kind of the punching bag, and not for nothing, but. She is paying for this trip, yeah. so maybe Olivia could just shut the fuck up. And and I, I liked, I like that reminder as well that actually Nicole is terrible, but like she's not wrong sometimes, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and uh, even her interaction with Rachel, like when Rachel just kind of stupidly tells her that she wrote that article about her. And like, I just feel like unless I was a hundred percent certain that I painted that person in a good light, I would never admit to anyone that that was me who wrote the article about you because she comes, she kind of snaps back, but like, even that's too strong of a word. She just kind of says like, well, actually I hated that article. Like it's just matter of fact, sort of like, yeah, she says, well, that was a shitty article. Yeah. It was a hack job. Like she's just very factual. Mm -hmm. She's like, well, you know, and then Rachel is like, well, you know, I mostly repurposed it from somebody else. She's like, well, then that's bad journalism. Like, it's just, you know, uh, she just kind of, I mean, talk about reading somebody for filth. Yeah. It's almost like you can see where Olivia gets it from. Yeah, you know? that's true. That's very true. But we love you, Connie. I don't know if you had anything else uh, to add to that before we move on. No, I, I love her. I think she's great. She's my kind of Hollywood actress. I... um. And yes, I could listen to her, you know, uh, explain to me how to put together an Ikea coffee table, you know. Yes. Um, Which hopefully shouldn't be that difficult. It's just like putting the legs in. But anyway, let's go to your number four. My number four, and I said I split them up, but is Brittany O'Grady as Paula. Um, Oh, okay. All right. And I think that like at at first glance, too, because like there's such a... um, you know, like her and Olivia are kind of like these Gen Z zombies at the beginning. You know what I mean? There's not really a lot of mm-hmm. life, but like they're like they have a bag of drugs and they're kind of looking for boys, but kind of not. And they, you know, giving that I don't give a shit um, sort of vibe, I guess, too. But like 
again, it's kind of like with Connie. I, I love that we never really fully see Paula go to a 27 either. I love watching her sort of arc of slowly discovering that like, oh shit, like I'm, I don't really belong here. I'm not, I don't belong in this puzzle, like with the Mossbachers and real, and there's no, it's almost kind of scary because there's nowhere for her to go. So like when she start, when she meets Kai and things are going well, and then eventually she just kind of like makes that snap decision of like, you should steal the bracelets and like how much guilt she feels like not only because of Kai, but also because of like the family that she's, that took her on this vacation. She just like betrayed them in a way, but it was, even though it was like technically the right slash wrong thing to do and we're kind of rooting for Kai to succeed it's it, you, you know it's not gonna happen and watching Paula just mm-hmm. have to sit with that it's a lot of internal sort of acting but I do loved I just like loved her you know facing you know in that day bed or just like that fold out what am I trying to say the couch that turns into a bed <laughs> just like <Bouton>. yeah <laughs> whatever you want to call it. it was a beautiful one by the way but just like staring out and like those tears falling off of her eyes I was just like okay you're you're really good and I know she hasn't been in a lot of things yet but I'm excited for her that's a good point is that she does have to do a lot of internal acting and like there's so many scenes where she really doesn't have any lines like those dinner scenes and it's like all about just her facial you know uh reactions and like little face journeys while she's listening so like that's okay i'll i she's not on my list but i'm glad she's on your list and it it made me better appreciate paula so yeah and in the um, arguments like something bad did happen like that is a line that mm -hmm. will stick with me for a long time and just how making your white friend understand that and not really mm-hmm. like losing your temper, but just like you're so emotionally like, you know, th- the rag has been wrung out with Paula by the end of that, that she just feels like she can't go anywhere or talk to anyone too, because the only one that she really confided in was Kai. And she doesn't even know, we don't even know what happens to Kai. Um, and just kind of right. watching her, I guess I just like felt for her because I knew that she was one of the people like as far as like Belinda or Armand or um, even Kai, I guess that she was, she went from like zero to 60 as far as like, I have a plan and you're going to do this and you have to do this because you, you know, it, it was a way to help him. But like she should have saw that. I don't know. There's just like a lot of like moral conflict there. And um, it was interesting to watch. So that's why she's on my list. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, she's definitely an example of someone who's very frustrating. Like, I think her whole plan, her whole idea of, like, you know, they stole your land, so you should steal this bracelet from this family, and you can hire a lawyer. And it's like, you're watching it, and you're kind of like, oh, I I love your passion, I love your purpose, but, like, this is not a plan, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, What you don't have is a plan, and... Uh, and I think this, that's the point is like we're not supposed to think that this is a good idea like this is all supposed to be terrible and you know much like everybody else in the islands like you know Kai it's like we don't we have, we have no idea what happens to him he just disappears and like you can only assume the worst yeah. you know whereas like you know for example Shane is going to just get on that plane and go back you know go back home after killing Armand someone like Kai is going to end up in jail you know 
Yeah, I th I wrote down a line from that Vulture article that it's it says the finale of the White Lotus demonstrates that there is perhaps no enemy more capable of bringing the Mossbachers together than a poor non-white person who wants to steal what they have. And I was yeah, like, whoa, right? yeah, because it, yeah. it, it backfires. It like every single thing that she wanted to accomplish, or this, I'm from Paula's point of view too. It just it totally backfires, and in fact brings everyone together. And even mm -hmm. like sort of um, isolates her further from, you know, everything that she was like kind of trying to fit into, I guess, or thought she belonged to. I, I think in a way, too, in addition to like uh, uh, to her as an actress, I, I was just really captivated by just the character of Paula and how like mm -hmm. from where where she was when uh, she started and where she was when, you know, everything was sort of said and done towards the end. Um so that's that. All right. Yeah. Yeah, Paula. All right, Paula. Paula. Um, well, my number four is, let me check the list. You know, we're going to peek in the envelope and just make sure we've got the right <laughs> one. Uh, so my number four is none other than Belinda, played by Natasha Rothwell. Okay. So she's on my list, too, I, I'm not going to say where. Great. Go for it. Great. I think that this was, I think, Similar to what you're saying about Brittany O'Grady, this was such an internal performance. She so rarely gets to say the thing that she's thinking, but she still has to show us that she's thinking it, you know? And I think doing that kind of double work, it's like, it, it's just really impressive. And I, and it was driving me nuts. I was like, why do I know this woman? Why do I know this woman? But she's on Insecure. She plays yeah. one, one of her friends, Kelly, who is, I think there's a great gif or like clip of her that I think I've seen on Twitter all the time. But I, I remember her being a delight on Insecure. And I think it's such a restrained performance. And, and I almost want to say to a fault because, of course, I want her to have some big, you know, meltdown at the end. But I think, A that kind of plays into maybe some cliches of like, oh, now she's going to take her earrings off, mm -hmm. you know, hold my purse. It's like, I'm so glad we didn't feed into that stereotype. But at the same time, oh, I just wanted Belinda to have a voice. But then at the same time, that's not Belinda's story. The whole story is that she doesn't and blah, blah, blah. I just, um, I think she just played such an interesting, like, uh, frequency throughout the show. And I think that to go back to that idea of who do we trust, who do we align with, you know, the first time I watched this, I came away thinking, wow, Belinda is uh, debilitatingly codependent. And, like, these are her flaws. And, like, th that's why she's a flawed character. And and I think watching it again, I think some of that's still there, but I maybe see more that, oh, maybe she is a little bit more of the most human of the group. Like, yeah. I think... You know, there is, like, I, I always think of, like, um, you know, the movie All About Eve. Like, yes. there's the friend Karen, played by Celeste Hall, oh, who's I kind of Karen. like, yes. Who's, yeah, who's just like, she's not a bitch. She's not double crossing anybody. She doesn't get into it. She's like everybody's friend, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I always love that character, that kind of like, oh, there is our, our lighthouse, you know? And I think it's kind of brilliant to have one of the few people of color in the show who is being constantly wrung out for help and advice and treatment to also be the audiences, you know, to have like the, the, the emotional labor, so to speak of being the audience's lighthouse as well. It just kind of says, you know, you're, 
this you know what I mean? Like what you're seeing, you're doing. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what the script sets up. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I I have so much to say about Belinda. I I'm gonna hold my thought, but um. Yeah, I, I really, really loved her, even from, like, that first scene with Jennifer Coolidge and sort of, like, the... I, I'm actually going to put a pin in it. I'm going to put a pin in it. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm yeah. so glad she's on your list. Well, then let's scoot on down to number three. Who is in your... Uh, who's your number three spot? Who's got the bronze? I know. She's pretty high up there, and uh, I'm going to say... It's Alexandra Daddario. Daddario. Oh, Daddario and the Jets. As yeah. Oh. All right. Well, sing out, Louise. Yeah. I I really just, I, I think for all the reasons that you sort of said, too, is like, um, you know, who who would I, it's not like who would I want to hang out with, but like when you see all these other characters that are a little bit like unhinged and wacky, you look for someone who is just like someone to latch on you, like to look th- through the lens of like, everything that's going on and granted like all of her most most all of her scenes are with Shane and who is just like a complete like dumpster of a human being <laughs> like I just yeah. hated him so much and it's like you know it's like I just wonder what they I mean she kind of goes into it a little bit when she finally tells him that she feels that she made a big mistake but I feel like it was very rushed I feel like she was in a sort of vulnerable state but like how do you not see that he's an asshole you know like even going out to dinner with Mm -hmm. him or just being around people but she's almost like it's like she almost gets out of it like out of the marriage but she almost just breaks free from like all of this you, you know the the sort of marrying rich and what that looks like for her and what she thought it would look like but is not um and i mean as far as just like an acting like she's so meek and quiet and even when she tells shane you know that could have been like a shouted conversation like she doesn't mm-hmm. but it's like it just goes to show she doesn't even know quite how to control him yet and maybe controls or to maybe you know calm him down because nothing really works like nothing's ever going to work to calm him down. If he's throwing a tantrum, he's going to continue to throw a tantrum because that's just who he is. And he feels like he can, but I mean, those sort of talking through tear moments when she's breaking up with him, like just were, she's so beautiful. And I know that like, doesn't necessarily mean like beauty doesn't equal good actressing, but like, I just feel for that role. They needed someone who was beautiful because, you know, part of the subplot of that is that, you know, why why did Shane choose her out of all the people? And we never really found out why. But, yeah, yeah. go ahead. Go yeah. Ahead. Um, well, I, I think one, I think, you know, he's not on my list, but I, I think it's worth yeah, mentioning should, that, like, mm-hmm. Jake Lacey yeah. as Shane is an impeccable performance. Like, it's really... I know this man, yeah. you know, like it's really, and, and some of it is also just like, I think in the first episode, there's a scene of them like making out on the bed and he's got those like little, those little penny loafers yes. with no socks. And I'm like, Oh God, I know you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, <clears throat> and I just think that he is, uh, I mean, I hated his character, but I, I love Jake Lacey's commitment. Like having seen him on the office as like the Uber nice guy, mm-hmm. it was a good comparison of like, wow, you like it's very it'd be very easy to overplay this role and i i think he didn't i think 
you know, again, the script direction acting like it was restrained so that it felt believable, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I will say this. I don't know how you feel, but like, I was like so attracted to Shane the entire time, even though he was a complete prick. Like, I just think Jake Lacey is so hot. (laughs) Like, especially like resort Jake Lacey, like you said, with the loafers and like those, you know, those tight swimming trunks and just like the, he dresses well, Oh, and I hate myself he, yeah. for that. But also, like, you know, whatever. He's a fictional character, and I'm allowed to, uh, you know, lust after him, I suppose. But uh, it's good to know Absolutely. he is a good guy. And, I mean, a good guy off screen, I will say. But, um, you know, she, just watching her navigate that as an actress and kind of like, I feel like there was one scene where you kind of almost see her say something and maybe that's when molly shannon arrives there's like a knock at the door and you can like feel like the volume being like turned up or like it just like it's like the the pressure cooker i guess it's like the the top starts to wiggle a little bit and there's some steam coming out but then it's like things just keep getting in the way and like she has to kind of think about it at the same time too because her situation's pretty great she hasn't made for the rest of her life like why is she complaining so it's yeah it's yeah, it it really is. I mean, I again, these are, you know, such, you know, first world problems, but I think there I think that there's like real emotions inside of first yeah. world problems. I don't I you know, like I think there is that sense. Like I think to feel like, oh, you know, I'm uh you know, I don't want to just be somebody's plus one or like I don't you know, I don't want to just disappear. Yes. Like I think that yes. sense of like I don't want to just disappear. I think that's a very relatable emotion and I I liked that the show found a way that even if we didn't relate to these people, even if it was like, Oh God, rough life, Rachel, suck it up. Like there were still things about her emotional journey that were empathetic. Mm-hmm. And then I like that. Then by the end, you know, between her then kind of calling Belinda and like not getting the like fairy godmother moment and then going back to Shane, it was like, I just I love that I love that choice of like giving us someone who is so sympathetic and someone who we're really rooting for to finally stand up to him and we're hoping for somebody to help her and not only does she not get the help she's seeking she goes back to him and I I just I thought that was so I almost want to say like cruel you know what I mean to have us like go along in this journey with her and then have it you know and not with her death which is what you kind of expect from the beginning but like in a way, is it not the death of her old life? Oh, like, I yeah. think the the beginning of the first episode, you know, Armand calls her, you know, Mrs. Patton. And she's like, oh, oh, God, I guess that is me. Am I Mrs. Patton? And it's like, by the end, it's like, whoever you, whoever Rachel was before this is, might as well be in that box, you know? Yeah, there's like many versions of death. It's like the death of her former self for Rachel and the death of like Belinda's sort of like dream job. And maybe... For Paula, mm-hmm. it's the death of, uh, I don't know, just realizing how the world works and like maybe the death of friendship. I, I don't know maybe how to articulate that. But um, and then for Armand, of course, there's just death. You know, you, you and you kind of see this throughout the show is like you go on vacation and it's like, you know, people either like, let's do this crazy thing we've no, never done before. Or let's indulge. Or or in the case of Paula, you know, she meets, uh, what's his name, Kai. Mm-hmm. And it's like, then he's like, oh, you could just stay here. And, and even Quinn wanting to stay. Like, people 
get into vacation mode oh, yeah. and they're like oh man like i'm just gonna do something i'm just like you get into that that you get romanticized into vacation mode and i love that in a way this was like the nightmare version of that so instead of everybody like trying to like come to life on vacation we watch them all die a little bit on vacation yeah and even i you were talking before about how rachel went back and like that she has to know by then that shane killed armand you know like it's not that there is like right. there is like shades of shane being abusive event you know it's like even the way she tiptoes around him because he's such a hothead you know what i mean like whether that's like verbal or physical abuse like it's just kind of like he has the capacity for both like just with what we know about him i suppose so it's just incredibly sad to say like i i, I promise i'll be happy i'll be happy and just sort of her welling up yeah. and then he's like oh thank god like he doesn't he doesn't get it and he never will right yeah and and she like you know to the point of like she doesn't know how to calm him down like the way to calm him down is to not get him upset yeah you know yeah that's kind of what this becomes interesting stuff but yeah rachel alexandra uh as we'll call her um uh that's my number three how about you number three well you know i think it's it's a uh a great sort of segue into you know maybe a, a ghost of christmas future but that would be kitty played by molly shannon oh yes great 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 i mean it's certainly like a featured performance yeah. she's really only in like one and a half episodes so it's perfect it's you know what the weird thing was when she first entered and i was like oh she's playing the mom for some reason my first thought was like oh is she old enough to play you know jake lacy's yes. mom like does that make sense and i was like well yeah yeah. It does. Like, it does check out because, like, he's probably in his late 20s. She's probably in her early, to, you know, mid 50s mm -hmm. and would have had a kid in her early 20s. And probably, like, she, was, she wasn't going to be waiting, you know? Um, like, or at least that's sort of what the story would, would imply. And it was like, okay, so that does make sense. And, you know, it was one of those performances that, again, watching it a second time, I appreciated more of, like, oh, God. I at first my my thought was like is this a little too wackadoodle and then watching it again it was like oh no this is too realistic yeah I, like I think this woman exists like I think like there are moments where it's like oh my god like there's moments where you think it's Molly Shannon doing a character and then there's moments where it's like oh I am I related to you like if, when have we met before and I I just I love I love that Molly Shannon works with Mike White so often. Mm -hmm. Like I love that like she's in Enlightened, she was in a Year of the Dog. Like they there's kind of a like not that she's his muse, but like she's sure. kind of a regular collaborator. And I think part of it is because she gets that weird tone. She gets she knows that like the white lotus is like five percent absurd, you know? Yeah, and like her just her name alone is Kitty. And she's like Kitty. It wasn't what was the name of um this is like a not a deep cut, but it's a you know, a pop quiz here. The name of Charlotte's mother in law in Sex in the City. Oh we all, my goodness. We all know who we're talking yeah. about. Mother. Yeah. Is, uh, what, it, oh Bunny. It bunny? Was, um, bunny. Bunny Bunny. Bunny. Yeah. Bunny, bunny yes. Kitty. It's just like those are, you know, Muffy, all those sort of like rich mm -hmm. white lady names, whether they're nicknames or, you know, maybe her name's Catherine or something like that. Um, 
but yeah, like, uh, like what you were saying, it's, it is spot on because you get a little bit of that sort of underlying, like, she's just so bub like her, it's like, she's sort of like teaching Rachel how to act around their men. You know what I mean? Like, this is what I do for my husband. Mm-hmm. And I just want to make sure you're doing this for my son now too. And she's so passive aggressive. Yes. And and then other times is so aggressive, like when they're at dinner and when Rachel's like, she says she wants to get a job. And just the way that Molly Shannon says, why would you do that? And not mm-hmm. as if she's asking her, oh, why would you do that? It's as if she's insulted. Why would you do that? No, you don't get a job. Like, that's silly. No, you throw parties. Like, the way that she just, like, breaks it down and in such, like, a sort of clinical way and, like, an almost a self-aware way where she's like, no, at this level, you don't work. You throw parties, you know, and, and that's work. And, like, that's just this, – this is what you've signed on for. And I think what I loved about this was I, I, I think the script in particular could have painted Kitty to be even more ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And it's so, like, restrained enough where it's like, oh, this is real. Like, this, she's, she's not just playing, like, the rich uppity mother in, in air quotes. You know what I mean? Like, this is a real example of what Rachel has signed up for. And that it is true. Like, your job is throwing parties and being a socialite and all that shit. Like, that's... Um, that is your job, and and that it is a job in a yeah. way. It, yeah, it's really scary. I mean, I certainly believe that like being a you know a homemaker or a stay at home mom or whatever you want to call it, a stay at home parent, like is absolutely a job. Mm-hmm. But I think of that as different. Even if even if and when Rachel and Shane have a a child, would be different from what Kitty's talking about. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it's as if the thing that Kitty's talking about is as if you're like a beauty pageant queen, you know what I mean? Who's like doing the circuit and like, you know, or campaigning or something. Yeah. She's like the Michael Caine to, you know, Rachel's, uh, Sandra Bullock, (laughs) you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. This is is how it's going to play out. And you don't, Mm -hmm. you don't argue or fight back or attempt to have any individual thought or action from here on out. It's just like, this is what you do. This is what you signed up for. Mm-hmm. You know, what's interesting is that it reminds me, and I, I didn't catch this until rewatching it, is that in the first episode, when Armand is talking to the new trainee mm-hmm. who's pregnant, and, you know, he's telling her, like, the, the, the philosophy here is to kind of, it's like being vague. Like, you don't want to make too much of an impact on yes. the guests. You don't want them to really remember you at all. You just want to make sure that all of their needs are met. They don't even know what they need. They just feel like their needs are being met. And I thought, oh isn't that what she ultimately ends up doing by the end is is adopting that philosophy, you know? Oh, yikes. Yeah. It's, you know what I thought this is, uh, I shouldn't say I thought because Keon thought this and I, I, I think it's like such a great idea, but I mean, it's, it's, it couldn't have happened because then we wouldn't have got what, you know, what actually happened, I guess is like when Belinda was sitting down with Rachel and Rachel was in her own room and like said like, Oh, I'm rich and I hate my husband. And she's like, peace. Um, I wish Belinda would have had enough, uh, you know, chutzpah to say, well, you have money now. You can throw it what- wherever you want. Why don't you fund my spa? <laughs> That's like what I wanted. Right, it's right, like you right. Can, you can really, and, and Ke- not that Keon, like, thought that Rachel was just like, 
whining, but in a way she is. You know, it's it's kind of a hard thing to talk about because, like, she has everything she's ever wanted, but it comes with this, like, uh, you know, the price of admission, I guess. But, like, Hyun was like, you should, like, stay married to him and just do your own thing. It sucks that she has to throw parties, but, like, she can still have the freedom to do whatever she wants. But it's like, ugh, at what mm-hmm. cost, though? It's just, it is hard. Right. Like, I think there's that sense of, like, oh, you've got all of that freedom, but, like, exactly. What does that cost you? Mm-hmm. And if you, you know, and I think Rachel even talks about, like, my parents, you know, she grew up, I think, with, like, working class parents. Sure. Like, never have went on a vacation like this. Like, this is so, she's losing, she has to lose her whole identity yeah. in order to stay in this marriage. And, um and Kitty then is kind of almost like, and it's of course, you know, in some ways, like, of course Shane would marry his mother. Like people ask the question of like, why did Shane choose Rachel? Well, she looks like his mother, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And yeah. so like, there's that of like, well, here's your future. You're literally going to look like this. Yeah. Oof. I don't know. It's, it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. Well, I think that brings us to, does that, I think we've done your number. Were we into our, our, yes, we are into our, uh, number two, our silver, our number twos. Ooh. So who is your penultimate BSA? I'm going to throw you for a loop here. My number two is Jennifer Coolidge as Tanya. Wow. And I think this might be the first time we don't share the same, first you know first slot which is kind of exciting i'm excited for it it is kind of exciting and i and i okay all right okay all right okay all right (laughs) okay i'm just my 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 pearls are everywhere i'm trying to think of who else you have left too i'm like who is your number two and number one but i i know i'm speculating a little bit on my end um i guess i might should it should we just save it or should i should i start i could start I think you should get into it. I think, you know, uh, so your number two is Tanya. All right. Tell me more. Tell me more. Do you have a car? (laughs) (laughs) I think at first, like I said, too, it's like Tanya in episodes one, two and three and specifically episodes like one and two. Really, it's just like it. She's giving you everything you expect to be given from a Jennifer uh, Coolidge like type you know what I mean it's it's like this um I think her name is Paula and Legally Blonde too it's like you 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 yeah. come to expect Jennifer Coolidge and as Jennifer Coolidge kind of in a way I guess but even with that being said like she has just um as you know just as much sort of charisma and talent I'm like uniqueness and nerve also mm. um it's, it's like someone like um uh Oh my lord. Moira Rose. Who am I trying to think of? Oh, Catherine O'Hara. Oh my gosh. Wow, that was sad. But we got there. Thank you. It's like a Catherine O'Hara type. It's like it's just because she's really, really good at that stuff doesn't mean that she's like incapable of nuance and kind of going to these because really a lot of her character is based around grief and being sort of alone in a way and how she's dealing with that, even though her mother was awful. Um but there's just, there, I mean, so like the first half of the season is like so many, you know, it's her just saying like, I know a lot of rich, white, fucked up people that could really use you, you know, when she's talking to Belinda and like mm-hmm. the other line that sticks out, it's like, but let's definitely order the cheese. The way that she just like anything that she says is going to be funny. And like her outfits are fabulous. It's like 
it's like gay catnip the you know the gay whistle tones were were abundant and then it's like you she meets the guy which i can't remember his name at the top of my head i don't know why greg yeah um yes 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 and who is the uncle in Napoleon Dynamite. Did you know? That? I kept the yes. That was oh like what God. I kept thinking was like, oh, it's the guy from Napoleon Dynamite. I'm sure he's been in other things, but that is what I know him yeah, for. That yeah, that was a, a shock to me. I, I learned that on TikTok of all places. Um, oh. But yeah, and then you sort of see as soon as she meets him, it's like she she has someone to sort of latch on to, I guess, and like because of that, obviously she screws over Belinda without sort of any uh, remorse, I guess, really. It's like, well, I can't really help you out now. I hope you understand. (laughs) And it's just like, oh, man, Tanya, I kind of hate you now because, but it's also like, it's all she kind of knows. That's all she knows how to do. It's just like, and she says to Belinda, like, I can't really latch on to someone I can't remember how she phrases that, even though she's technically doing the same thing with that guy. So it's just... Oh, and their, their last scene together, she's like, you know, I, I keep having all these relationships that have like yeah. a... You know, there's a financial, you know, uh, sort of... There's there's ties. And so, you know, any connection I have, it's always because I've like thrown money at someone yeah. and now they feel that they owe me something. And so it's kind of like here. So I'm going to just... I'm just going to, you know peel back the onion so to speak i'm just gonna give you the money and i don't want you to owe me anything you know and um which is an interesting situation i i mean i think you know it it, it leaves the question of like well belinda isn't this the best situation possible but i think that's you know i think that says more about her character and about her ability to kind of like take the leap but um my take on that and again this is me being that white lotus defender you know Mm -hmm. apologist is like yeah, because Tanya sucks. Yeah. All of these people suck, you know? like, And I think we kind of see that throughout the show is that, like, Belinda is always just, like, getting crumbs of attention from her mm-hmm. and always just trying to gently guide her back to, like, this this wellness center. And it's like, uh, you just kind of know, like, this is not going to end well. Yeah. This is not going to end well. It actually ends better than I expected it to. It does, and we'll talk about it, too. But I, uh, I think... A lot of my, a lot of the reason why I put her in the number two as opposed to number one is because of her character, which is not a reason to like bump someone down a slot. I know that. But like, I I just will never forgive Tanya, not Jennifer Coolidge. I'll just never forgive Tanya for doing that to Belinda. It really, I don't know. It impacted me. I was just really upset with her and especially like where she started and where she ended up. But also, you know. I guess it took me a little longer to realize how much Tanya sucks. But Jennifer Coolidge yeah. as Tanya is fabulous. So I'm so it's for ca- anyone who yeah. has accused us of being too objective and too scientific with these rankings, <laughs> take it back. It is purely emotional proof. Yeah. I, it was all subjective. Yes, <laughs> I know, right? And I, I do feel like in a way this this role for her, even though we all know Jennifer Coolidge has been around for centuries, is sort of like a Catherine Hahn and Catherine Hahn and WandaVision sort of effect. I at mm-hmm. least I'm hoping. I mean, I, I'm very curious. This is released at such a weird time, like because it won't be eligible until next Emmy Awards, right? The next, like I, maybe Golden yeah, Globes. Yeah, I guess so. 
Yeah, probably Golden Globes because obviously the Emmy Awards are you know already they're coming. You know they're they're coming. It's too late, baby. Yeah. Uh, but it, uh, yeah, this does feel like. Um, I think of all of the performances, I think certainly one I ex- I hope kind of stays you know at the surface and stays in people's minds for consideration. I think it, I think it will. I think it would be crazy, not, but maybe that's just because we're two gay men who love Jennifer. Yeah, Coolidge, well, so right, right. That. So, um, uh, okay, you're number two, I guess, Colin. Well, I guess, you know, so just nervous. for dramatic effect, obviously my number one is Tanya. So we're going to go a little bit of that order because we've talked about it because I think okay. the number two is the more of the wild card here. So, uh, yes, everything we've, we, you've said, I, I think Tanya is, I think she's just another frustrating character. I think mm-hmm. she's tragic. I love the way that Jennifer Coolidge just like, I mean, I, this is a new definition of ugly crying. Like this is really a reminder yes. of like crying is really ugly sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it takes a lot to go there. And and the scene on the boat and then the scene where she's just like, take the ashes. Like I'm crazy. I can't do anything about it. Like that was good. It too, was yeah. so raw and just so just like, oh, and I, I've never seen her like that yeah. before. And I just thought this was so exciting. And, but then the, that it wasn't just her being drunk or hysterical, but like, for example, the next morning after the scene on the boat, she goes up to Shane and Rachel at breakfast. She's like, Hey, thanks for being good sports about everything yesterday. Like, she's just like super chill about it. And then like, I think at one point they're talking for a bit and then Shane's like, well, maybe, you know, there's great buffet. You should go check it out. And she's like, yeah, maybe I will. And she's kind of walks away and it's so brilliant. Uh, Oh yeah. all those levels i i think it is such a phenomenal performance such a interesting character i yeah that i i wanted her to be the i don't know the uh, glinda the good witch you know what i mean like that's what i wanted yeah. and it was like well no she's she's already told us that like deep down she's like a drunken lunatic you know like she's already admitted to that and so it's like yeah, this, in some ways, if you think about it, this is not someone Belinda wants to go into business with. She just needs her money. So, like, in some ways, this is the most merciful option. And I think that Tanya has just enough self-awareness to know that, like, it's kind of like I've, I've, I was just bitten by a werewolf. Let me get out of here before I bite you, you know? Yeah, I don't think Tanya should go to business with anyone. It's kind of like, no. you know, like, she's not a businesswoman. Like, the whole time... She's just looking for anyone to connect with. Like every, she she yeah. almost hits up every single person in the resort. Yeah. And like the only person that has really kind of, you know, it's, it's sort of that sort of uh, the entry point was grief with Belinda at the beginning, too. But like it's like Belinda's also getting like paid to hang out with her, except when they go out to eat together. But like at least but with Belinda, there's like incentive there. It's like, OK, well, at least. You know, the idea of like teaming up didn't start at first, but then it did. And she's like, OK, I'm invested. But and then she finally found someone and then she's like, OK, I'm good now and moves on. Right. 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 Which I think is, yeah, it's just like the the frustrating reality that Tanya is just like looking for a, a welcoming port, you know? Yeah. And, you know. But I, but I also sympathize with it because it's like this is also someone who is damaged, who knows yes. her damage. She's like, my parents psychologically abused me. Like, I'm I'm a fucking wreck. And so I'm like, well, you know, if it, it 
if the menu says spaghetti, the plate shows up, it looks like there's spaghetti on it, and you smell it, it smells like spaghetti, when you taste it, you shouldn't be surprised that it's not rice pudding, you know? Yeah. Like, it's spaghetti. And and I just, I appreciated the thoroughness of that. There's never some magical moment where she breaks character, you know? Yeah. I mean, she's a revelation. She is, like, the reason to watch in so oh, many she's... ways, if not oh. the number one reason, at least in your on your list. Yes, Absolutely. And everyone has been saying this, but I just, yeah, I add to the chorus, just a phenomenal and fascinating performance, like Mm -hmm. just grotesque in, in ways. And I don't mean that because of weight or anything, but just in the way that like Tennessee Williams would write these older women in some of his plays, you know, and it's like that, that kind of tragic older woman who's blousy and drunk and sloppy in a way. And like, Jennifer Coolidge finds that energy without being totally sloppy and totally drunk all the time, you know? Yeah, it's like um, Jennifer Coolidge as Blanche Dubois. <laughs> oh, my God. I would lose my mind. Jennifer Coolidge as Amanda Wingfield. Can you imagine her just, like, you know, doing glass menagerie, just being, like, that dramatic? Ugh. I I don't even know. I, I, I can't even imagine it. I feel like it's like someone's... Uh, you know, TikTok account that someone has already done that. You know what I mean? Jennifer Coolidge as and like all these characters. Yes. If they haven't, or even Jennifer Coolidge as Martha and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Oh my I would kind of love. That's probably my favorite I would one. Love that. I yeah, would love that. I would love that. Oh my god! I because I actually think that like there's a world where that could be amazing. You yes. know, yes. like there's a world where it could be a great gag for a few minutes, but like done right, it could be like. You know, Valerie Cherish and seeing yes. red in the comeback. You yeah, know? there we go. Um, well, I think that brings us to your number one. Uh, <laughs> shocks all around this week. Who is your BSA of the White Lotus? I feel like um, I need a drum roll here, too. But my yeah. number one slot is Natasha Rothwell as Belinda. Oh, that makes me happy. And oh, I really good. thought, I honestly thought that we were going to be on the same page as well, too. And I love that we're not, like I said before, too. I, in like, I think that maybe it's the size of the role. And you've all, you've already talked about her, too. But um, first of all, I, I also had that inkling of like, I've seen you somewhere before. And she is in the movie Love, Simon, which I don't know if you've seen, but, you know, it's fine if you no. haven't, fine if you have. Yeah, okay. But I I can actually send you the clip after this because I think you des- you deserve to see it because it's it's yeah. probably the highlight of the movie. Is based, She plays a teacher who, uh, there's like a lunchroom scene and these two idiots are making fun of Simon because he's gay or something's happening. They're doing like, there's like something going on and she comes in and reads them for filth and says things that a teacher should never say. And it's so satisfying. Um, And I was like, yes, you're that character. You're that. I think her name was like Mrs. Wright or something like that. Maybe I I jotted it down. Give me a second here. Um, Love, Simon. Scrolling through my notes. It really doesn't matter. Mrs. Albright's. There it is. I was. was Oh, of course. In Love, Simon. Um, But I just... 
immediately because I remember you saying when you first started watching when we were talking about you know like the White Lotus gaze in that episode of the best supporting after show you were like you know there's Jennifer Coolidge and she makes a connection with one of the people that uh, that work there that I feel like you'll really like and I was like oh okay and I just feel like from the get-go with her like meeting Jennifer Coolidge and then having this like beautiful moment of like shared grief where she really like she just cries with her and cause she also mm-hmm. lost her mother and, you know, navigating, raising, I feel like we, we don't know a lot about Belinda. We know that she has a son, right? That she, that she only yep. talks to. Yep. Yeah. Um, but I think again, there's so much of like that internal monologue that you get to see her, uh, sort of navigate throughout all of this and I what I really love the most about this and like in addition to like the end scene which I'll get to with Jennifer Coolidge but how she has to toe that line of like kissing ass but not feel not not make it seem like you're kissing ass um, yep. because yep. she has to feign enthusiasm for like how did your date go even though you blew me off and I made that like, uh, you know, the business plan. What is it? The business plan, business report, the what proposal, am I proposal yeah. yes. And it's like you get to see how excited she kind of is. But ultimately, it's like I, I don't know when Belinda gives up hope. But when she really I mean, but when we see her give up any sort of hope, obviously, is when Jennifer Coolidge just breaks the news. And I feel like in a way Belinda knew, but like. The fact that Jennifer Coolidge, I think this is why Jennifer Coolidge is number two for me because of that character, not her, is that she gives her that envelope of money. It's like such a slap in the face. It's like, yeah, it's money, but you could also like invest in me and you just don't care to do so. And I guess this is goodbye. And like the fact that Jennifer Coolidge forgets her sunglasses on the counter. Oh, yeah. I was. Oh, I love that. I, I mean, it's all great writing and just like that whole scene and how she's like her lip is trembling and she is desperately trying to hold it together and eventually the floodgates open just in time for Jennifer Coolidge to come back and for Jennifer Coolidge to just or Tanya rather to just say sorry I left these here and then leave and then it's she has to wipe her tears and then answer the phone I am obsessed with her I love Belinda and I loved her in the show, and she's my number one. That moment when she has to pull it together and answer the phone, <sighs> it was kind of like, this must be what like basketball fans feel like when someone has like a, a, a foul line shot. You know, when you're like, all right, let's see if it goes in, and she got it. You know, like yes. watching her pull it together and then answer the phone is like watching someone – get a basket in basketball and that is as sports as it's going to get around here folks yeah and the tragic just like the tragic nature of belinda and how she just kind of stuck and you hear her talking to her son about it and it's just i don't know i'm still thinking about belinda and what tanya did to her and that's why tanya's number two (laughs) wow yeah wow you know nothing personal but i i I get it and i think you know and i talked about this with johnny you know and the things that we like disagreed about or saw differently it was like i think that's in what i got from some of those articles like that's kind of the point like people are supposed to disagree people are supposed to be frustrated people are supposed to feel you know mixed emotions like i think that sounds like the intention and so it's it's appropriate 
that our lists don't even sync up, you know, here in the Best Supporting Podcast. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm furious, but it's no big deal. It's fine. <laughs> um, well, uh, my number two, because as we all know, my number one is Tanya. Yes. My number two is Murray Bartlett as Armand. <gasps> wow. I know. Okay. I know. It's shaking things up. I, I love just, this. you know, it's it's really the sum total of this performance. You know, it it's he goes on such a journey and just talk about ringing the rag out and going to a 27. Yes. I mean, he just and to say nothing of the pooping, which I'm not sure how they did that. Oh, it my was, gosh. You know, so he had to poop. We've all <laughs> talked about the ass eating. Not impressive. Not as not, not, not his fault. Oh, my gosh. I but couldn't it, believe how short it was. Yeah. And how and nothing like, it how, was. And how far from it, correct it was. Yes. It was just like, a what grazing, are we doing here? Yeah, not. Yeah, I thought, Murray, aren't you a gay man? Is he gay? I don't know. Life. I was thinking that too. Let's 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 see. Well, you know what, Murray? Like you've been in looking, and you've played a gay man in the White Lotus. If you don't know, if you don't know how to eat ass at this point, then God help you. <laughs> I know. Oh, he's so yeah. good in looking. Uh, well, I thought that he was fabulous in this. I I hope he gets awards recognition. I think beyond the 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 shock moments of the of the ass eating or the poop and all that stuff, I think that it's just a an unhinged performance that's also very hinged and very interesting. And I think the character, you know, there was a, there was a, a Twitter thread about this from it was like Tom and Lorenzo, and they they're you know they've written books and whatnot, a couple of very smart gay men, but really talking about the character of. Uh, of Armand and mm-hmm. Armand being of a certain generation, kind of like the generation that kind of got like cut short by the AIDS crisis. But then it's, it's almost like the, the, you know, when, when there was finally an opportunity for them to be, you know, uh, you know, the main character, it's like now that role is being cast by people, you know, 10 years younger than yeah. them. You know what I mean? And so it's kind of like the, the, the point that they sort of summed it up with was like, it makes perfect sense that Armand, that his like, biggest adversary is Shane because in Armand's mind, he was supposed to be Shane, not serve yeah. Shane, you know? And so, like, that moment passing of, like, oh, like, when, you know, when is it Rose's turn, basically? Yeah. And and then the idea of having Murray Bartlett, this very attractive man, play that role. And then for Armand, and I think they even say in the tweet, like, an Armand is probably not even his real name. It's probably Arnold but he's changed it to Armand, and I love that yeah. as well. Uh, but to have that casting and for Armand to also be this, like, fading beauty uh, of a gay man just, like, adds so much to that. And I just, like, I, you know, I just thought that was really fascinating. And as a as a gay character on TV, I, um, I thought there was something really nuanced about him, and I, I loved it. I just thought he was really great, and uh, it was such a wild performance and a crazy story that he just yeah he knocked some real favorites out of the number two spot i'm you know he didn't even make my honorable mentions and i i think really i was 
if I'm to kind of think that through of like why I didn't include him, I think I was really leaning a lot towards women rather than the men. But there are great sure. perform like Steve Steve Zahn and Murray Bartlett. Like it's it's they're both giving really great performances on this show. And I think as far as Armand and and it's like I don't think he ever had anything together. And I think like that's kind of like the point of that. Um, you know, the pregnancy in the first episode, it's like, he thinks that he's like showing this girl and like, he's like, let me show you how it is. And, you know, don't be too intimate with the guests and just like give them enough and stuff. And he doesn't even notice or I guess care, but also like she kept it a secret. So there's that too. But like, I think we're, we're given that sort of, it's chaos from the beginning. There's always something to clean up. And I can't even imagine what it's like to work in the hotel, like resorts business. I would be so stressed out all the time oh yeah yeah i yeah this would be like to constantly be on like that i mean i think and that's what's fascinating as well is this is someone who is as we see it's very easy for the, for him to become unhinged but even from the beginning it's really like oh you're you're barely holding it together you know yeah. like behind that smile and that wave is someone who just is already hating these people, you know? And, and I think that's so like to see him spiral out the way he does, it doesn't seem so crazy to me. Cause it's kind of like, yeah, I think he just, uh, he just needed that opportunity. He just needed that pill bottle. He just needed that one straw to break the camel's back. And I think it was the combination of Shane and the pills, you know, that were just were like, Hey, we can help. Yeah. It's interesting. It's like, I, I said at the beginning of the podcast that I just feel like he's really bad at his job because at the same time, like, but you, you kind of gave a little bit of context just a minute ago about like why he's so not interested in helping out Shane. I mean, yes, he is a dick. Uh, Shane is and like, mm -hmm. but at the same time, do you think that he could have squashed out that rivalry by just saying like, oh my gosh, I can't believe, you know, someone, cause it's not necessarily him who, I mean, maybe he's kind of in charge of the resort, but, like, he didn't... I wonder if it was his own fault, you know what I mean, of the double booking of the rooms. Like, if he just owned up to it, apologized, said we'll get you in there as soon as possible, and also refund you the money of the, you know, the difference between the rooms, like, could that have patched that up? But we'll never know. Right, and I think that's also part of it is, like, yeah. you know, the what also, you know, caused this, this spiral was because Armand couldn't just you know lose quote unquote against this guy who represented like you know not only like oh like the straight white privileged guy but like the one who had the privilege the one who had the upper hand and like kind of reflected back that armand was never going to be that person yeah and so it's like you know this could have been so simple and you know and for both of them right because at the same time shane could have been like you know, yeah, this room is great. No big deal. Like, it sounded like the room they had was better, but it was, yes. like, all of these little, like, kindling that starts the fire. The plunge pool. Yeah, right, right. Well, there is the BSAs of the White Lotus. Congratulations, you know, the... the, the you know the tag team of Belinda and Tanya, ultimately. You know. Yeah, I kind of uh, love that. Yeah, I love that. I love they prevailed ending. in the end. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, and I guess you know, season two, we will see next year with a whole new cast and a whole new White Lotus. I don't know what the location will be. I'm kind of 
hoping honestly for like Florida and I want I want to see what the demographic is for people who aren't flying all the way to a private island in Hawaii but are just flying to like one of the Florida Keys you know what I mean like I want to see who I want a different narrative like a totally different bunch of people you know what I mean yeah I want like I want like a retirement community in Florida. I want a retirement oh community God. in Arizona. Something that's just going to give me more women of a certain age will say like, I would love that. But I, I don't know. I don't know what that could be. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a whole other show, but I'm not mad at that. I <laughs> mean, yeah, I, actually that's a whole show about people in a retirement community, but why does that not exist? I know. We're swimming in great old people. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's us getting, yeah, that's us getting played off. Uh, so, uh, all that being said, uh, where can people find more of you? They can find me on my other podcast, The Good Vanilla, which is a Barefoot Contessa podcast every Thursday. And they can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Nick Kachanov. How about you? Well, you can find me on my other podcasts in the details, A Celebration of Nuance, or All Right, Mary, a uh, weekly cleaning out on RuPaul's Drag Race. And you can find more of me on Twitter at Colin Drucker, Instagram at Colin Drucker underscore. And, of course, you can get more of both of us in a best supporting capacity on Twitter at BSA Pod. Or you can send us an email at thebsapod at gmail.com. And I think your peepers might still be peeled from last week, but if not, peel them now because tomorrow our best supporting after show will be out. And all I can tell you is that we are going to be there and you should too. <laughs> Can't wait. Yeah. And uh, as they say, that, as they say, <laughs> is that. I forgot to say it. <laughs> yeah, Jesus, I gave you there two opportunities. Is, <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.